Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Uh, Hi, my name is Jim, um, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Welcome to the panel. Um, What is this? Uh, What's the name of this one? Oh, this one is Complete and Rigorous Honesty. Yeah, Complete and Rigorous Honesty. I will be the moderator for this panel. Um, In the spirit of the fifth tradition... To carry the essay message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. We will begin the meeting with a few moments of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Okay, the serenity prayer. God, Uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. I gotta remember that. Would someone please read the essay purpose from page two hundred one in the white book? The essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve Sexual sobriety. Okay, our panelists for this session are. I'm going to start with Robert. Where do you want to start? Mark? Doesn't matter. You want to start with Mark? I'll start. Okay, we got Mark and Tim and Robert. Each will share for seven to ten minutes on, on the topic. We will then open the meeting for sharing. Please join me in welcoming our panelists. Okay, my name's Mark, uh, recovering sexaholic. Uh, Hi, Mark. Sobriety dates, uh, uh, let's see, June 25 of 14. And um, uh, I'd like to read, um, let's see, just uh, for a second here, about uh, the definition of rigorous. Uh, extreme, thorough, exhaustive, or accurate. And uh, huh, they had some great synonyms here that just went right away from my cell phone. So uh, I was trying out notes, and the notes got me. So, uh, but, uh, oh, here we go. Here's some, I thought this kind of here's some synonyms. Meticulous, conscientious, uh, attentive, 
painstaking. Anybody heard that before? Um, accurate, thorough. So when I got into these rooms, um, the uh, I wrote down a few adjectives that could be used to describe describe me. Uh, some of you might be familiar with this. Restless, irritable, discontent, angry, frustrated, lonely, down and out, a liar, on the verge of divorce, no relationships with family, friends, or others, full of resentment, control freak, out of touch with mind, body, and spirit. Other than that, I was great, though. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I haven't heard many come into the rooms that say, you know, what got me into the room was a rigorous ability to tell the truth in all my affairs. And uh, so I had a lot to learn. I came from a... A family where the uh, where the patriarch, uh, my father was a public servant, and what the way it looked was very important to the community. And so, um, I was involved in. Uh, I was asked. To, there was a group of us out at a uh, pizza inn one night when I was about twelve, and this had happened a time or two, but I hadn't learned the lesson. I really learned it this time, and uh, I was asked by somebody about why they did this owner was not coming out with the right amount of money from kids from our church. And they said, uh, Mark, what's up with that? And I said, well, it's so-and-so that's not taking care of their part of it. And it was a group of people. I knew what was going on. Well, that was brought up, and I was, you know, to blame for that. And the, pe- the guys that got in trouble, you know, talked to me about it. And so I learned at an early age from there on, I just learned that if uh, if nobody else knew about it, it just didn't happen. And so I stopped really... Uh, trying to be honest and really uh, would not, I guess later on I would go out of my way to be specifically dishonest, but for a while I just wouldn't, just would be kind of just not say what I knew. And uh, so it was a uh, unfortunate circumstance to learn that at a young age. I thought it was just being smart. I thought anybody would do this because you avoid issues, you avoid confrontation, you avoid being in trouble. Uh, so that was kind of the way some things started out. And um, uh, so uh, a couple of things about honesty in our program. It says if on the bottom of 80, 83 in the big book, if we are painstaking about um, uh, about this place in our, our development, we'll be amazed before we are halfway through. When I look at the steps, um, I think it was nine of them that were directly related to Honesty, being rigorously honest. And so uh, the others, you could work it into it. But, I mean, these were like, you know, uh, like uh, in the first step, uh, you know, we, we uh, admitted. You can't admit anything unless you're honest about something. And I certainly wasn't wanting to be honest about anything. Like some of the material, I wanted to go the gra- to my grave with the secrets in me. And it wasn't until I got a sponsor and realized that I could say things that had happened, and I just learned this over time, that... I just couldn't believe the guy didn't just flip out because I would just thought I would never tell anybody this. And he's just sitting there. He said, okay, what else? And it, it, that's the kind of attitude he had. It was like, okay. And it was very um, relaxing to me, and it made me realize I, I was uh, that there was something wrong with me, but maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought, or maybe there was some hope. And there's a saying I've heard in our program that uh, that we found a way up and out. And I, I never really thought about having a way up and out in my life. I just thought this is the way it is. But I like that analogy. Up and out makes me think that I'm out of this stuff I'm in, and whatever else is available, I'm going to be able to realize some of that. So 
the rigorous honesty part, um, some of you were in here for a share last hour, and it was incredible. Uh, and it's just uh, the people. I've seen a couple of shares lately at some meetings I've been to where people just laid it on the line. And I think we all try to do that. Some people, uh, maybe just because of where they're at in their recovery, have a gift for it. But I really have a lot of respect and I, uh, because I know how much I feel like I know how much courage it would take to get up in front of a group of men and say things that would be the last thing I would ever want to say in front of anybody. And I just uh, I appreciate that about men and I appreciate that about uh, being in the groups of people um uh, that are willing, they're that courageous and that willing to be honest. Um, you know, the promises uh, uh, talk about um, all these opportunities we have, and we read the promises quite a bit. And one of the, uh, the, the way to get to the promises is through honesty. Uh, I don't know of anybody in our program that's been successful without rigorous honesty. It's just, a, it's a, I think I would feel like it's a requirement to be able to come in these doors and feel like a person is, Getting into some recovery, I've got in. I got in the doors uh, in. I was 44 in 2004, and I've got three and a half years of sobriety right now. So, if you're a mathematician, that doesn't add up just right. If you know what I mean. So, the last uh, had about six sponsors, and um, uh, but I've always tried to work the program fairly tightly. And I think it was Joe and Charlie in the big book. I mean, not in the big book, but in some of their tapes that talked about God gives you what you need when you need it, and. When I thought about my first sponsor, I was uh, I was driving down the road one day talking to him, and he said, "Man, he said, do you ever listen to what you say?" I said, well, I'd never had anybody say that to me. I said, well, "What do you mean? Doesn't everybody do this?" He said, "No, man, you talk like he said. You go from pillar to post. You don't ever stop. You never stop talking for one thing, and what you say is just always a bunch of hooey." <laughs> and um, this guy was Catholic, and I, I was I resented Catholics. And he, uh, uh, and now they're most of my best, best friends. At one point in the program, my, a Catholic guy was my sponsor. A Baptist guy was a guy that just worked with me as a mentor. And my wife said, all you need is a communist to have everybody that you hate. <laughs> and so, but I was learning some things. I asked this guy, he said, do you ever talk to God about this? I said, well, do you? I didn't think Catholics pray. He said, yeah, I go to mass every day. What do you do? Mm. And, he, and uh, I didn't want to meet with him on Wednesday nights because I went to church. He said, well, let me ask you this, bro. How is that working for you? And I was like, it's, you know, obviously I'm in the room here. Maybe that could answer it. But it just he he put a mirror up to me that really was difficult. And he right after we started working together, he said, hey, man, I hadn't heard from you in a couple of days. I said, OK. He said, and I was, by the way, I was a little bit arrogant then. And I'm not over all these character defects yet, but I'm working on them. But he said, uh. I said, okay, I didn't need you. He said, well, you remember that list we put together two days ago at Red Lobster? I said, yeah. He said, you remember call me every day? No, that wasn't on there. He said, yes, it was. <laughs> and I said, uh, no, hold on a minute, because in my phone I looked down there, and about the third thing was call every day. And so I had learned that I just I just not have a built, an ability to be rigorously honest. Um, one of the things I want to share as uh kind of wind down here is um, – one of the difficulties I have is when somebody just says, you're this way or that way, especially in our family. We were at a restaurant the other day, and we were deciding who the worst driver in the family is. And I was getting pretty high on everybody's list as being the worst. And most people had themselves the best and, you know, me toward the bottom. And they put my daughter in front of me who doesn't even drive yet. So I was like, I was pretty low. And uh, So they said, you are the worst driver. And um, so... Um, 
they, and we got home, Pam said, what did you think about that thing about the driving? I said, that is not true. Are you kidding me? I don't drive that bad. She said, would you listen to yourself? You are killing me that you just will not listen to honest feedback on yourself. So I... So the other day I was driving to uh, pick up my son from a, air, the airport. He come, he came back from this mission thing, and I, I don't know what it is about driving. I probably ticked everybody in this room off at some point my driving. I just I just drive aggressively, and there was no reason. We were real early, and I was weaving in and out of traffic. And um, she used to just blast me of the car, but she probably should because she didn't feel safe. But she waited, got home. We got home. She said, "Hey, that was scary tonight, man. What'd you drive? We didn't weren't even in a, we weren't even in a hurry. We had plenty of time." I said. And, and I realized it was starting to sink in where I could say, yeah, I guess, I don't know why I did that. I, I really apologize. And so for me, I guess honesty has to start within my heart. And I still have a long way to go. And uh, I'm thankful that God uh, uh, leads me along a little bit at a time. And my wife, uh, I think, is willing to, to work with me on this stuff. She stayed with me a long time. Uh, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, thanks Martin. So I'm Tim. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Uh, whew, and I have to be honest, I do not like to share. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity. Um, it's a challenge for me that I need. Um, and just, I've made some notes here, but, but I want to start in a place before I even get to my notes. Um, I'm just reminded of what what my life looked like before I came into the program. And, and that was, uh, gosh, almost a 35 year stretch. And there was a public version of me and there was a private version of me. And the public version always wanted to appear to do everything right, uh, to be a perfectionist, to be the most respected person, um, the greatest guy, um, and the private part of me was in this world that I would never want to admit to anyone else. Um, and so there was, there was just this big, um, duality to my life. Um, and I remember the first time, uh, I was talking to a friend and it was a friend in this program and they were telling me about SA and they were telling me what the definition of a sexaholic is. And, and they were, they were suggesting that I might want to, to come and visit this fellowship. And I thought, no way, no way. I'm not that. I don't want any part of that. I can't do that. Uh, and so I completely wrote it off for a couple of years. And it, it was only when I was desperate enough, uh, and when I hit my rock bottom that I had to come in these doors and say, okay, this, this might be for me. And then it turned from, it might be for me to, it is. For me, I had to be honest that I had a problem. Um, and I had to be honest. And this was, this was really hard because I, I always prided myself in, in being this self-made man, so to speak. And, and whatever I'm lacking, I can make up for and I can take control of and I can take destiny into my own hands. I could not and I cannot fix this problem, uh, and I certainly can't do it on my own. So there was being honest about that. Um, the first time I walk into a meeting, it's, I can't even say I'm a sexaholic. Uh, so that was a journey for me to, to really be able to be honest and say, okay, what I'm hearing here in this, these meetings that's described as a sexaholic, that's me. Um, and even I can remember the, 
newcomers breakout that I went to at my first meeting. And it would have been easy for me to hold some things back in that meeting. I think I was given a chance to share sort of why I was there in the program. And it would it would have been easy for me to describe my scenario very generally. Um, but that wasn't going to get me anywhere. That had not gotten me anywhere in the past. That wasn't going to get me recovery. Uh, and so I, I had to to fully disclose uh, what was going on in my life. And, and that meant sharing some things that I didn't want to share. That meant sharing the nature of my attraction, which I was ashamed to do, um, with another man or eventually in a room full of primarily men. Um, but I had to, I had to disclose, disclose the full nature of, of what was going on in my life. Um, there's a saying that um, we share from time to time that goes, we're only as sick as our secrets. Uh, and I didn't want to be sick anymore. Um, I remember seeing the questions in the front of the white book and going through those and, and realizing, okay, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. I can't, I can't deny this. I am a sexaholic. Um I had to be honest when it came time to get a sponsor, and that was that was something that I was pushed to do. Uh, actually, at my second meeting, uh, I was one of those guys who who wanted to just see the lay of the land, see how this works. I'm not sure if I'm going to invest in this or not. I don't know about this whole sponsor thing. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit back here on the back row and just sort of take a glance at this. And, and someone in the meeting really challenged me and said, you know, if you're serious about working your program, you need to get a sponsor. And I knew that to be true, but I had to admit that and, and put that into action and say, okay, I'm going to get a sponsor. And, and I had to admit that, that I need what that sponsor has to offer because, again, I can't do this on my own. It is good for me to have a sponsor um, for numerous reasons, and, and one of those is I need that person who's going to call me out. I need that person who's going to disagree with the kinds of things that I tell myself, that I'm this great guy, or that I have every reason to resent someone, or that I have every reason to live in self-pity. Uh, my sponsor always brings me back to the truth that that resentments are not justifiable, uh, that I'm not all that grand, um, and that self-pity is something that will only hurt me. Um, then there's, there's the whole journey of having a sponsor and working the steps. Um, and really... Let me back up a second before that. So, so I start having a sponsor, and if I, I realize if I'm going to get anything out of this relationship, I'm going to have to be honest. Uh, I'm going to have to be honest about when I call my sponsor. And for me, it, it's almost foolproof. I know when I need to call my sponsor because deep down I don't want to do it. And that's usually when I have something to share that I'm not crazy about sharing, but I need, I know that I need to call my sponsor and be honest about it. Um, so working the steps, um, fourth step specifically requires an honest look at myself. Um, I was all about 
listing the resentments and, mm-hmm. and what other people had done to me, but then to also see on paper, okay, here's, here's what I did. Here's my part in this. I have to be honest that, that I contributed to this. Um, there's my fifth step and sharing with another human being for the first time the exact nature of my wrongs. And again, those were things that I did not want to share with another, with another human being at all, let alone a, a grown man. Um, but what I found in that was after I did that, there was this incredible freedom and there was this incredible relief. And it's like those things that I had held in, some of them my entire life, they lost a good bit of the, the control that they had over me. Um, I had to be honest about what my character defects were, uh, how many character defects I had, the fact that they don't all go away, and, and many of them I still wrestle with to this day. Um, after I'd been in the program for a couple of years and had been sober a couple of years, um, I started dating. And that was, that was a new test for me for being honest. Um, I had to be very honest with my sponsor about what my intentions were, what my boundaries were, what we would and wouldn't do. Uh, that might mean calling my sponsor before a date. That might mean calling my sponsor after a date. Um, and eventually, when, when I felt like my higher power was leading me to do this, I had to disclose some things. Uh, to this woman that I was dating, who is now my wife, uh, because I didn't, I didn't want our marriage to to start and to not for her to not know that that I'm a program and that I'm a sexaholic and that this is a part of my life and it's going to be a part of my life. Um, and and God provided a great opportunity for me to have that conversation with her and for her to hear that and receive that in a non-threatening way. And again, just, just an incredible freedom and relief. Um, I think finally I'll close by saying I, I've had to learn to be honest in long-term recovery. Um, I'm often tempted to think, hey, I've been around for a while. I've got this. This is no big deal. I can graduate or I can ease out of this. I'm fixed. Um, but I constantly come back to the truth that I cannot graduate from this program. Um, this has to be a way of life for the rest of my life. So with that, I'll pass. Hey everybody, Robert Sexaholic. My sobriety date is August 7th of 2010. Um, and, uh, my MOs are same sex lust, um, uh, pornography, masturbation, and, um, anonymous sex with other men, um, and, uh, and a few others. But I, I want to throw that out there because when I first came in the program, which was in, um, 2000, the end of 2003, I had a huge amount of shame, um, uh, just about, um, the, about my MOs and, and the nature of my addiction. And so in, adi- in addition to sort of feeling ashamed about being a sexaholic, I, I felt, you know, I felt like I was, you know, sort of one, below, one level below everybody else in the room too. And, um, 
Uh, and, uh, it was, uh, so I came in, you know, just feeling huge amounts of shame and, uh, and self-hatred. Um, and, uh, um, and it was, uh, you know, I, I, I had a couple of, uh, couple of periods of, of sobriety, uh, leading up to that. I mean, again, as you do the math, you know, you can see that I wasn't sober all that time, but, uh, I, I was, uh, had a period of about a year sober and then I slipped and then I had a period of five, almost five years and then I, and then I slipped and I had a very bad relapse, uh, then and, uh, uh, a lot of that actually, a lot of that relapse sort of came down to just really not being honest, not being honest with others and not being honest with myself, which I'll get to in a second. But, um, but anyway, just when I, when I got invited to, to say something on this topic, I, I was just kind of thinking about what, you know, complete and rigorous honesty meant. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, I, and, and also just my, myself and my own behavior as an addict. And, you know, as an addict, you know, I, like probably most addicts, I lied all the time. Um, and, uh, and, and like the previous shares said, I think, you know, for me, lying was just a way of life. And it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I didn't just lie about, you know, what I did and what I didn't do. I was lying about who I was. Nobody, nobody could really know who I was as far as I was concerned. I, I had to hide that at all costs. So, uh, so I felt like, you know, basically my whole life was a lie in, in, uh, in many ways. And, uh, when I came in the program, I was told, you know, that I needed to be complete, completely and rigorously honest. So, um, so, you know, I had to kind of, uh, look at the ways that I had been dishonest in, in my addiction first. Um, and the ways I kind of lied basically were mostly lies of omission. I, I wasn't a very good outward liar, but I would, I would, um, I would just leave things out selectively, you know, tell things to other people. I was in a relationship with this guy when I kind of hit my bottom. And, and, uh, I, I had this whole other life that was going on. I was acting out with other people and everything. He, he, he had no idea any of that was, was going on. And, and, and I, but I never lied to him. I never told, you know, out and out lie. I never told him that I wasn't doing this. I just, you know, didn't tell him any of it. You know, I just kind of kept it all, it all secret. And, and for me, in my mind, that was, that justified it. I was, you know, I wasn't really quite lying that way. So, um, so that was one way. Uh, the, the other way was just, uh, avoidance and disconnection and hiding. Uh, I, I, um, I also, you know, I, in that, using that relationship as an example, e- even though we were, you know, t- together for, uh, for a few years, I, I, w- I resisted moving in together and always kept my same, my separate apartment and it was, a lot of that was so I could just act out whenever I wanted to, but also it was, uh, you know, just because I, I had trouble dealing with the relationship and just dealing with another person. And so it was a place for me to escape to basically and, and run away when, when problems started coming up. And, um, the other way I lied was, um, I guess you could call it just codependency or people pleasing. Uh, you know, I, I was always just trying to, you know, I hated, conflict and tension so I, I i would try to to just you know present things in a way to manipulate the other person to get them to be happy and uh, be happy with me and uh, not be angry with me or not reject me um so so that was uh that was one way too and then also 
compartmentalizing. Uh, I, you know, I had my relationships very segmented and I, um, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't let certain people meet other people in my life and wouldn't even talk about other people in my life to, to, to some people. And, um, you know, so, so it just, it, you know, it, it really allowed me to have, it was even more than a double life. I'd say probably, you know, th- three or four, you know, that were kind of going on. And, um, and then, um, the last two things, lying to myself, uh, my, my self image was very negative and distorted. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, I had a lot of self-hatred and felt less than, but I also was, you know, there was another side of me that was also very judgmental and arrogant, uh, in more in my inner thoughts, but it was very real and very, very much a part of me. And so, you know, I kind of tended to vacillate between, you know, feeling less than or greater than, but never really feeling, um, feeling like I was, you know, just another person. Um, so anyway, I we got two minutes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Three minutes. Three minutes. Thanks. Uh, so and and then the final way of just uh, being um, of lying for me was just being critical of others and gossiping about others and picking other people apart. So so basically, uh, you know, when I had to you know get honest, uh, you know what it, what it meant was. First of all, really, you know, it's learning to develop integrity, and that meant that my life had to really all fit together. I couldn't really have these little segments. I had to be open and honest about about you know who I knew and who my friends were, and 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 relationships, and 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 in particular, you know, I guess one of the things, you know, I like I never before in, in my addiction. There was nobody in my life that I was totally honest with about, you know, about everything. And, uh, uh, now there are people in my life where I, I, I don't keep any secrets at all. I tell them, I'll tell them everything. Thanks. And, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, another thing was just, you know, realizing that my best thinking got me here. And, uh, so that I couldn't run my own program my, myself that I needed. I needed to take the guidance of a sponsor and, and a, you know, in the, in the beginning, a therapist, which was very helpful, um, take direction, and uh, that I really just couldn't trust my own thinking in important decisions. Um, facing up to my past was another way that I had to get honest. Uh, as the previous shares mentioned, uh, steps eight and nine were, were crucial turning points for me and just making amends and... and um, you know, trying to right the wrongs of all my acting out. And then um, facing up to my limitations, too. That was a big part of my last relapse. And, uh, you know, it was, again, that people-pleasing thing of, but, uh, you know, that, that got me into the trouble. But, uh, you know, I, I, I had to learn this time around that, you know, there are just certain things I, I can't do, certain things I'm just not comfortable doing. And and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to set myself up for problems if I, if I just say yes to please another person. So I, you know, that was an important thing for, for me to learn. And it was more a recent lesson. And then, um, I guess the other, the last two things are, you know, just seeing the truth about myself. I like the phrase, you know, child of God for two reasons. One, you know, because, you know, because it does imply that I am, you know, an important and worthwhile, uh, to my higher power. But also I, I like that childlike, you know, part of it. Because, you know, when it comes to lust, you know, I, I really do flee like a child. I mean, I, I don't, I don't believe even today that I can handle, handle lust. 
uh, you know, and uh, so so I really, you know, to me it's it's really almost like running like a, a child to its parent. Thanks, I'll have to wrap up. And um, and then the last thing was just uh, learning to guard my tongue, and you know, it was a real revelation to me that uh, I could, you know, <laughs> that I could that I could socialize with other people and uh and 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 not gossip and not and not criticize and uh and uh yeah it took a while to learn that but uh, but i did i did learn it and i learned i also learned that you know a lot of times just not saying anything and staying quiet is the best you know is, is the best approach for me so so anyway that's all i got so thanks for listening thanks, Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during the meeting. We do not cross-talk, that is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about, and from an essay point of view, our meeting focuses on solutions to our essay approach to recovery, whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not essay-approved literature. So, why don't we grab one of these chairs? Is this the hot seat? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'm waiting on a sexaholic. I'm waiting still all day. Oh, um, just one little funny story. First sponsor I had was a lawyer. He actually bought a, a, a agreement out that he wanted me to sign. I says, "What in the hell is this?" He said, "That's what we're going to do." Well, I signed it, and about a week later, he had already relapsed. I said, I'm firing you, <laughs> and I didn't have a paper. You didn't have one. But anyway, um, the thing about rigorous honesty, and maybe you've heard this and maybe you haven't, the best thing that ever happened to me was getting caught. Now, is that dumb or what? <laughs> I mean, I was enjoying it. We had gone off on a little trip, and I had been talking to this lady on Skype, whatever country that was in. Oh, no, I'm not a prostitute. I said, okay. She said, well, I need a new computer, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, huh I said, my wife keeps a checkbook. Are you crazy? Oh, I, I need this and that. I, you know, that c- continued on. She said, well, let me put it this way. On Skype, when you fill out your information, you put all your address and phone number. She said, I got all of that. I'll call your wife. Mm-hmm. We'd gone out over this little holiday thing. and We were by ourselves. Every time her phone rang, I went, <gasps> And I just knew it was her. Well, she'd been sending me the nude pictures and all that. And well, 
I went through that night, didn't sleep a wink. We had breakfast the next morning. And I couldn't stand it no longer. Oops, sorry. And I'll finish. Um, I said, we got to talk. I cut loose. Wish I hadn't sometimes. <laughs> I thought she was going to kill me and probably should have. But, long story short, I says, before you and my God today, I want to find help. Mm-hmm. And I was a veteran, Vietnam veteran. I went to the VA. I had no idea where to go. Went to them. They laughed in my face. We ain't got mm-hmm. nothing like that. But he said, I got a number right here. I don't know where he got it. It was the Chattanooga SA group. God? Yeah. But anyway, went up there. I was just going to fake this, you know, like we all do. Well, that lasted about 10 minutes. And I said, do y'all live in Tunnel Hill and been in my house? Y'all, y'all know too much about me already. You, you've been spying on me. But anyway, I told her, I says, I'm going up there. And I did. And I was just, you know, big, tough guy, smart aleck, dumb ass, uh, excuse me. Um, but anyway, I said, took about five minutes to realize I was home. Mm-hmm. You hear me? Mm-hmm. Hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been going back ever since. <laughs> I didn't know my wife was going or coming. She didn't either. Don't know why she stayed. Mm-hmm. But I've got almost three years of sobriety. And I told her just recently... Because I don't go and tell her all the stuff. No reason to. But I told her I'd celebrate this. You know, it's a big deal to me. And she was happy. But uh, being caught was the greatest thing. It made me realize for the first time who I was and what I was. And I couldn't stand it more. And that day, God, I prayed to God. I says, if you'll help me, I'll stop this. Or you'll stop this. Not me. Because mm-hmm. I, I still fight with it and always will. Mm-hmm. It has never cured. God gives you little, little pockets of sobriety. And I'm telling you, when you find sobriety, you'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. And you won't want nothing else but sobriety. Mm-hmm. Thanks. 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 Hey, I'm Gary. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Gary. Hey there. Um, I'm sitting back there thinking about this. Uh, I really hate big groups of people. I have all my life. I've, I've always been 
I avoid it. I avoid big groups. I avoid being around lots and lots of people. There's lots of reasons for that. Most of the reasons are bullshit. Part of my friends. The main reason is because I have a secret life. And every time somebody looks at me, I wonder if they know about my secret life. And I realized today when I walked through that front door, it, all these 200 people know about my secret life. You know, it, it, there's these little details I could share with you, but man, they're little details. When I hear everybody else talk and what everybody else does and what their life is like, it's like, I'm just like that. Y'all know exactly who I am. And that's actually a form of honesty that I didn't realize I would have today just walking through the front door. And more importantly, I realized that y'all have that too. And I'm so appreciative how honest everybody is. You know, the 200 people here that walk through that front door to kind of admit they're a sexaholic in front of so many people. It's just awesome. I just wanted to share that little part of honesty. Thank you. Um, Jim, sexaholic. Um, sobriety date, November 20th, 2014. Um, just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, rigorous honesty. For me, I didn't really get into recovery till I became truly honest. Um, and I was my hand was forced initially when uh, my wife caught me looking at por- pornography at that time. Um, and I called my therapist at that time. He said, "Well, you need to go do a lie detector test, and you know your wife needs to write out a bunch of questions." Well. She wrote out about eight pages of questions, um, which he said, well, I can't really ask you all of these, but, you know, some of them. And I had to become even more honest with what I shared, you know. So I passed the polygraph, but I had to take this report back and share all this other stuff. So I was kind of kicked in the butt for honesty. And then I shared more. Um but I came to a point in time where I, I had a year and a half of recovery. Things were really good. And I knew I had some deep, deeper, much darker secrets. And I uh, was going to have a meeting with her and my therapist. And I texted the therapist what I wanted to share and didn't really give a chance to get out of it. It was, in my mind, like a godly thing. Well... During the meeting, or after I'd shared the three items, which dated all the way back to when we were engaged and stuff, uh, she almost fainted leaving the room, and it, you know, put us in turmoil for a while. But I later learned that it was something I really needed to do, really to reach a deeper level of recovery. In a sense, I had to bring them to the surface, and I had to expose them, bring light to them, so I could get forgiveness for them. And until I got that forgiveness for them, did I really reach a much better place? Um, it doesn't mean I wasn't humbled again and again and again. And it was by stuff that wasn't really related to my own predicament. But it was, it was. <laughs> Sorry about that. Turn it off. Okay. Me too. Um, but it was related to other things. So in a sense, it worked out well that I, I had been in recovery a year and a half. My wife at one point thought I was again looking at pornography, told me to leave, get out of the house, and not come back. And I was actually at a homecoming football game with my son. I'm like, it's not me. I didn't look anything. I didn't look anything. Well, she searched a little deeper, and it turned out it was stuff that my son had been looking at. Mm-hmm. You know, and he luckily, you know, because she didn't want me coming back to the house, just dropping him off. But then he was honest about it and shared and. In a way, he's my young sponsee now, and he's doing well. 
Um, but that, you know, being sober for a year and a half, you know, I could be honest with him. He knew what was going on with me, so I could deal better with him. Then about a year ago, my wife, um, and she's 28 years in AA, so she, after being married 20 years, decided, I really don't want you drinking alcohol in the house anymore, and I don't want you drinking in front of me, which kind of blew, blew my mind. You know, but it was, again, a weird, weird thing. I didn't really f- get angry with her, but I called my sponsor, and he said, well, I only have a half a glass of wine maybe once a week just to help with my stomach, so I thought about that. Then I went to to an Andy Stanley message, and he talked about if you have a habit that you're not sure about, try giving it up for a period of time. And I'm like, man, I'm getting kicked in the balls here again. <laughs> so I I decided I'm going to give not give up alcohol, but I wasn't going to drink or have alcohol at the house. So I went from drinking probably three times a week to maybe drinking once, twice a month. Mm-hmm. Um, well, lo and behold, uh, January 2nd, my brother called me. He's 15, 14 years younger and needed, he was close to committing, you know, I don't know if he was going to commit suicide, but he, he admitted to having an alcohol and drug addiction. And I took him down to Talbot Recovery Center that, that day. He got out yesterday and has asked me to, to help him in a way, which is kind of odd. I can't really be his AA sponsor. I said, go find an AA sponsor and I'll, I'll help you. You know, we can talk, but I can't be your AA sponsor, you know, so, but I couldn't have been in that situation. If I had been drinking at family events and doing different things, you know, because he wouldn't have had that trust in me. So again, the, and in addition to that, when I went and spent time with him, I shared with him that I was in this program. I haven't shared it with all my family. So I felt that it was the right time and it was the right place to share, you know, that I had so much trauma too as a child and he does too. We share a lot of similar family backgrounds, you know, so it was the right time to share. My only last comment, I want to make one more, is when you are, um, you know, you know, breaking out your list to your wife, definitely do it with your sponsor first. My wife kind of describes throwing up all over her, you know, so I do, you know, I give that advice to my sponsees, you know, definitely share your stuff with your sponsor. At that time, I didn't do it, but it, it made things potentially worse but in a sense, I felt like I had to bring those things to the surface. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. Hey guys, I'm James M. I'm sexaholic. So, uh, this this has been a great talk. Um, I really appreciate all the speakers here and all the talks. It's just been it's been amazing. I'm a newcomer to the program. Been in for two weeks. Been sober for since uh, February 13th of this year um, in my main struggles uh, pornography and masturbation um, and this uh, this whole idea of honesty and then surrender which this program is built on is just it's uh, it's actively changing my life um, I think uh, but but when I think about honesty the uh, I think the important thing for me is that uh, not only are there, there are these things I have to be honest about that are defects that, uh, like, I'm a sexaholic. I have all this lust. I'm, I've uh, had depression and anxiety and I'm prideful and um, all these things, but I also have to 
admit the other half, which is, I mean, I, I am so blessed. I am, I'm a human being, I'm alive, I've got community now to be with, to talk to, um, I have a loving family, um, I'm getting married in six months, um, I definitely don't want lust in marriage, and I think that's why I'm here. Um, but but all these things, like I I have to admit, which I I failed to do so so many times that I my, my soul was made good, and um, as I understand it, God loves me like every ounce of my being, and this this lust is is something that's trying to turn me away from Him. It's not. It's not a something that's um, that I can solve, but it's it's not something I need to solve. Um, so, thank you guys for uh, being here and for your honesty. Hey guys, I'm Adam Sixaholic. So thanks for inviting me to this meeting. You guys are great. Um, Ah, honesty, man, that was uh, that was tough. I, I have one of those stories where uh, my wife was a, a lot better at denial than I was uh, at telling the truth. So she she ignored a lot of a lot of the signs and uh, and thought I could just fix it and uh, went through all those stages of of trying to do this myself. And uh, the most beautiful thing about it is I can't do it myself come to that realization. I can't be honest by myself. Uh, if, I, if I'm not checking in with somebody or talking to somebody, I, it's not going to happen. I, I got I got all these voices going on in my head. I can talk myself out of whatever I want to talk myself out of. I can rationalize around anything I want to do. Uh, the beautiful thing is my higher powers. My higher power got me here, and he's watching over me, and he's got me in a room of people that I could be honest with, that, uh, that I can look in the eyes and say, this is... You know, we have this. We have this issue because we have this issue. Started when I was young. Uh, I wasn't going to get over it without without being here. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about this. I, I, I can be honest about that. I can be honest with myself about this. I can stop trying to fix it myself. I can stop trying to ask my higher power just to take it away from me. And I can do this one day at a time. And uh, that's that's what I love about these rooms. That's why I love. That's why I keep coming back. Uh, and this is where my higher power wants me. Thanks. Just briefly, uh, Robert Sexaholic. Um, yeah, I, the last two shares in particular just were reminding me too, just, uh, just how grateful I am for this program too and for sobriety. Um, and, you know, getting, getting honest, um, you know, it was, it was a painful process. I guess it's kind of like, you know, ripping off a Band-Aid or something like that. You know, it it, it hurts at first, but uh, but it's just so freeing. I mean, you know, it's it's so much better these days to just, you know, not have that weight, you know. I mean, I, I always felt burdened down by all these secrets and everything that I was carrying around and and I don't, I don't have that. You know, I don't have that now. And, and that's a that's a wonderful thing. So I'm very grateful for it. So, thanks. Thank you. We have time for one more share. Someone has the urge. 
I'm Tracy, and I'm a sexaholic. And I appreciate the panel's discussion about honesty. I, I ran from the mirror my entire life. Um, and I also appreciate um, a couple of you mentioning about having same-sex attraction. I, I too, have same-sex attraction disorder. And in order to overcome that, um, or to work on overcoming that, I had to get to the honest truth about why I had that and what was going on with me and what was going on internally. And this program has really helped me to do that. And I realized that I, I need love from men that is not sexualized that I did not get as a child. And that is the honest truth. And that's, that's what I was seeking and through my acting out and through my other behaviors. And it's just been, it's been so freeing to be honest with myself about that. When I share at our local meetings, I constantly, at my introduction, I mentioned that I have same-sex attraction because I'm the, I'm the biggest liar and I'm also the biggest believer of the lies. Mm-hmm. And so if I constantly try to hide it for one meeting, mm-hmm. if I try to hide it from one person that I'm not honest with in the program especially, then that's just gonna, it's just gonna tumbleweed mm-hmm. and just, um, you know, really grow. So I'm very grateful for y'all's share and I'm very grateful about the honesty in this program and being able to be accepted by other men and also be able to have healthy love from other men. Mm-hmm. Thanks. 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 255, I guess. Um, okay, closing. Uh, it says actually three minutes remaining, so we do have time for one more if anyone feels the urge. Would you? Okay. I was born into a family where honesty was a, a very important thing. And it came as a enormous shock to me when I married my first wife. My mother tried to talk me out of it because she knew more about this lady than I did. But she was bipolar. And as, as our time together went on, I never knew what was going to set her off and just absolutely blow up. Uh, and I discovered after a while that I was trying to figure out what she wanted me to say about this, that, or whatever the subject might have been. And it didn't matter whether it was true or not. What mattered was for me to keep from being beat up, not physically, but uh, psychologically. Uh, that was a long time ago. I still struggle with it, uh, but uh, I'm glad to say things are getting better with the Lord's help. And I'm very, very thankful for this program. I have a lot of other problems too, but what we're talking about is honesty. Thank you. Let's circle up and uh, let's quick thank you to the panel. Yeah. Thank you for that. Okay, let's close it with a uh, silence for a few few seconds and then the serenity prayer. God, God. grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. 
the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Keep you coming back because it works. If you work it, you've got to work it every day and every night because you're worth it. Cool.